kind of hitting the home stretch a little bit, and uh, tonight is, is an interesting part of the letter, uh, not that there's really a boring part, but um, Paul has, uh, he's addressed so many things at this, to this church that's having, you know, some issues. Uh, at this point in the letter, he's kind of hammering on these, uh, these con men that had come into the church and tried to take over and convince everybody that they were apostles just like Paul, and so he... Um, just kind of dismantles them uh, in in this letter and takes all the things that they're trying to uh, to present to the congregation. They're trying to they come in with all these credentials that don't really matter, and uh, you know these letters of recommendation from all their friends. And so they're very self promoting. They come in. It's all about money. Uh, they want. They come in. They say, "Hey, I'm an apostle, and because I'm an apostle, you need to give money uh, to the offering to support me and stuff." And, they're just really manipulative and very destructive, very divisive. And, and uh, last week we looked at how he basically said, like, these guys are from the devil. Like, the devil is using these guys to come in and destroy um, what God has done among you to try and, and frustrate the progress of the gospel in your, in your hearts and your minds and in your city. And so he's just been just, just hacking away on this. And so tonight uh, we're going to look at how um, some more, like, the kind of the last two ways that he really digs into things. Um, one of them uh, is, uh, the first part of it is, is ha- just dealing with, with hardships, and uh, they had kind of presented themselves a certain way, and so he kind of hammers on that. And then another thing that they were really big on as part of, what their, part of their credentials was um, they were very spiritual. They had their, these big experiences, and so Paul kind of does the same thing um, with theirs. So, uh, so we're going to pick up in verse 16 of chapter 11. Uh, he says, he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Okay? So here's, here's what's going on. These guys have come in, and they have, have uh, just boasted of all these accomplishments and all these things or whatever. And all of their boasting is completely driven by by their flesh, by that part of us that is just incredibly self-serving. So everything they were boasting about was just pointing back to them and how awesome they think they are. And, uh, and so, so Paul, uh, his typical M.O. is to not boast in himself, ever. Uh, that's not how he viewed life. That's not how he viewed himself. That's not how he viewed ministry. Um, that everything is about Christ. Everything is pointing back to Christ. Everything should point to Christ. And so when you boast, you're actually pointing to yourself, which is which is unwise and wrong. Um, but but here's, here's what he's about to do. That's what he's saying. Okay, um, if they're going to boast, okay, I'm going to boast too. Like, so they're acting foolish, but I'm going to act a fool as well, just like they have. And so he's kind of prep, like prepping them. He, you know, he's kind of um, qualifying what's about to happen, saying, look, what I'm about to do, I don't agree with, but that's what they're doing. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you the same way that they are. But of course, knowing Paul, it's always... He does it on purpose. It's very intentional, and he uses it to teach a point, like to teach certain things and to disciple them. Um, but this next verse, this is why he's why he's going to go this route in his letter. Because you would think, why, why would he quote unquote like stoop to their level? Why would he try their same tactics? Well, this is why. 
um, verse 19. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourself. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were never too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. What he really, what he really just said, and he's you know, kind of flowery or whatever, he's basically like, look, look, the reason why I'm going to do this is because it's working. Like they've come in and they have treated you terribly. They have brought you into, like, into slavery um, in the sense like they have control over your minds. They're basically taking advantage of you. They're basically punching you in the face. And it's working. So their self-promotion is working on you. So if that's the, if that's the, the kind of language that's going to get through to you the most, then I'll, I'll do the same thing. Um, he's like, even though I disagree with it, I'll, I'll do the same thing. And like I said just a second ago, keep this in mind, Paul is not just going to, he's not going to give in to their tactics or anything like that. He's going to go the same route they are, but it's all going to prove a point, which is where this whole thing is headed. And here's, here's the, the crazy part about Paul, is that, Paul says, okay, if I'm going to have to boast, then I'm going to, I'm going to boast in certain things about my experiences in my life. Um, and so when he opens up the can of worms, this is what happens. Uh, look at verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. All right. Those were big-time credentials to these guys. These guys came in and they said, uh, we're apostles of Christ. And we're like, we're like, we're Hebrews, like we're Jewish, we're all the way back to Abraham, so, so you have to listen to us. Paul's like, okay, they want to brag on that, so, alright, me too. Everything they're saying about their heritage and their lineage, same exact thing with me, okay? Then, this seems really strange, verse 23, says, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Who says that? <laughs> I'm a better servant of Christ than them. I'm a better one. Then he says, I'm talking like a, like a madman. Okay. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Okay, let's stop right there. It says, are they servants of Christ? It says, I'm a better one. Okay, I'm talking crazy, but I have worked harder, been in more trouble, and been closer to death because of Christ than they have. Now, this is the opposite of the kind of boasting that, that these guys were doing. They would never come in and say, look, at, look at, at all the bad stuff that's happened to me. And some of that was because the whole like karma idea was kind of prevalent there too. And so for someone who got in a lot of trouble and was almost near, near death, that, would be, that was considered to be, you know, God must be cursing you. There must be something bad that you have done or whatever. And so they would never come in and, and, and try to portray themselves as being like spiritual leaders and worth following um, if they had that kind of background, because in their minds, as con men, that would not be someone that you want to follow. And have you ever been into a job interview and they ask you, like, why should we pick you? And all you do is rattle off reasons why they should not pick you? No, nobody does that. Except Michael Scott. <laughs> I care too much, I work too hard. And so he's going in and... and Part of what he's doing is he's pointing out the fact that the credentials they have presented to this congregation, they're, they're like perfectly fine, like they're all good things, but they're absolutely irrelevant 
when it comes to establishing apostleship. Okay, apostles were um, you're, we're talking about like Jesus Himself said, uh, "I give you the keys, go. I'm sending you, go." Uh, the office of apostle, uh, like nowadays, if you know, you see that sometimes where where that'll be some preacher's title on TV. Sometimes the, the apostle so and so, whatever. No, false. That's that's not true. Um, apostleship ended uh, when the apostles died. There was not something that was passed on or you know, anything like that. There was an end to that age. That's when the, the scriptures were all written. And when they were all dead, the, the, the canon was closed, as they say. The, there's no more of that kind of stuff. And so um, you have the, uh, like the, the disciples that followed Jesus. Uh, he, they were apostles because he uh, appointed them to go. Paul, uh, Jesus himself showed up at his conversion and appointed him. But outside of that, you don't have it. And so Paul had this authority given to him by Christ, and that was, that was the main criterion, is that Jesus himself had to give it to you, and these guys were coming in saying that they had it. But they didn't. And so they're bringing all this stuff, all these letters of recommendation, all these things that are, are irrelevant. So Paul's like, okay, if they want to boast about lineage, I have it too. If they want to boast about serving Christ, nothing, has, nothing in their lives backs that up. Nothing produces that. And so, like, they were, they were coming in. He's trying to, to point how ridiculous their credentials were. You know, it'd be like, okay, I'm, you're trying to get into medical school and you go in for your interview and you plop down a folder that's full of, like, all your elementary school uh, report cards, you know, and it's got, like, your, like, Boy Scout merit badges in there and, uh, like, a, a letter from your, like, Little League coach. Like, all these things that just do not matter in any way, shape, or form. The med school people, and they're not going to care about that. Those things are good, Grades are good, scouts are good, Little League is good. Completely irre- irrelevant when you're trying to get into Duke Medical School. Okay? That's kind of what these guys were doing. They are like presenting these, these credentials that mean nothing. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter. And so Paul um, turns the tables on him. And he's like, if you want to look at what it means to be a servant of Christ, you've got to look at what, what kind of, of hardship is coming your way. Look at, he says again, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Here's, here's, what, here's what he's saying. There's, there's two things we have to remember. Okay? Um, in the first century, that is what um, denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, and following Jesus brought into your life. That's what discipleship, that's what following Christ meant. More labor, more imprisonment, more death. That was what a fruitful life in the first century brought your way. That was the response of culture. It kind of went two ways. It either went, tell me more about this Jesus, or we're going to kill you. And so, but when Paul says, um, this is what my life of following Christ has looked like, this is why I'm a better servant than them, He's saying, look at the response to my surroundings. Everywhere I go, people want to beat me up and kill me. And when he says far greater labors, he's talking about starting churches, about making disciples, people converting to Christianity. So he's like, I have this whole resume that's full of of fruit, okay, the fruit of my life that shows up in people getting saved and people wanting to kill me. That's one thing we have to remember is in the first century, that's that's what happened. Second thing we have to remember is that those guys didn't have any of that stuff. The false teachers had they had no 
they, like, they, they ran from confrontation. Like anything that would maybe cost them anything for the name of Christ, they, they, like, they would flee from that. So all their credentials they brought for, they were all positive and glowing, and they had nothing in there. Nothing in there that would reflect culturally what it meant to be a Christian in the first century. And so, to kind of, it's not where we're going tonight, or this is kind of a, a side thing. Um, we, we need to think for a second, okay, what, is, what would be the same thing today? You know? Certainly, in different parts of the world, it's going to look certain ways. There are parts of the world where that's the same thing. It would still be, that's what a fruitful life ha- like produces. Either disciples or, or death, or persecution. There are parts of the world that's still the case. Now, in Baton Rouge, that's obviously not the way that it is. But it would like behoove us to really think, okay, what, what does denying myself, taking up my cross daily, and following Jesus, what kind of response does that evoke from our culture? And if there are, I mean, it could be, it could be a number of things, and I don't, even, I don't even go there at all. You know, when I was a kid, one of the, like, growing up in church, one of the, like, there were like four or five questions that I hated to hear at the end of sermons. It seemed like I heard them all the time. Um, and not so much from my pastor growing up, but it was like, you go to camps or you go to Disciple Now, you go to other places or whatever. But one of those questions was, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And every time I was like, oh, no, probably not. You know, I always felt guilty, you know. I know they're trying to like, spur you on and push you forward and challenge you, you know, but when, like when you're young in the faith, all of that does is just heap a big pile of guilt on top of you, you know. But I think along those lines, like there is, like, there is some benefit to us really, like, really, like thinking, okay, what's coming my way because of my faith? Are there spiritual conversations coming my way? Are there uh, friendships where that is like a watershed issue, you know? Um, Am I like? Am I in the Word? Am I in prayer enough to where like to where that is making a difference like in the way that I live my life? If you if you have roommates, I mean, do your roommates see it? If you live, uh, if your roommate is your spouse, does your spouse see it? You know, do your kids see it? I mean, there's just so much that's to it right there. Um, a fruitful life will always evoke a response in our culture. Always, we just need to maybe spend some time thinking about our own lives. Maybe if there's no response, maybe there's not as much fruit as we think there is. Maybe that's a part of where God wants to take us. Let's 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 keep going. Uh, he starts to list his difficulties. Verse twenty-four: um, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Okay, thirty-nine lashes happens when you are like preaching heresy according to them. And so they would, would, would hit you 39 times, and they would count them so you knew. Uh, sounds awesome. So that happened five times. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Okay, That was like disturbing the peace. Um, once I was stoned. All right? That's not college stoned. That's uh, like people picking up rocks and trying to like kill you with them. All right? Uh, I always like to clarify that. People are like, no, Paul did it. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Not good enough. Um, so when he says when he says that he was like when you say that that meant like we want to kill this guy. 
And so they would pummel you with rocks. And if you lived, okay. And if you didn't, okay. So he shouldn't be alive. He should be on that show. I should not be alive. <laughs> Paul. And that's kind of what he's saying. He's like, look, my faith has put me in some like really, really terrible situations that the Lord has seen me through. Then, um, see, thrown three times. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Uh, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Heck of a list. And said, all this... It's because of my service to Christ. He's not saying, yeah, I made some tough decisions and some negative things happen and whatever, and I'm, you know, I'm learning as I go. He's saying, no, 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 this is all about the cause of Christ, and that's the response of culture to Christians. These false teachers come in, and they have none of that. They have all these, these glowing recommendations from their friends and all this kind of stuff, and they want your money, and they want to be your leaders, and it hadn't cost them a thing. They are not legitimate followers of Christ. Yeah. Verse 28. And apart from other things, it's almost maybe he was like, man, but after I made that list, I didn't want to keep listing stuff. Apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. All right, the stress of planting a church somewhere, getting them ready to go, then the Spirit moves you on to somewhere else and you're worried about them. You're worried about them. You're worried about these people in other places. 29. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fail? I'm sorry. can't read. Who is made to fall? And I'm not indignant. Here's, and here's, here's the crux of this. If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. If you're going to make me boast, I'm going to bring you the list of the things that make me look the most weak the most pathetic, the most, uh, uh, the least desirable kind of leader that you should want to follow in an earthly sense. I'm going to bring you the opposite of what these guys are going to do. And it's not, Paul's not like, he's not like picking a strategy to try to win him over. Like, I'm going to go this route and it's going to be a gamble and I hope that they buy it. He has a reason for it. Um, verse 31, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artis was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. What a picture of weakness. Grown man crawling into a basket. Sneaking out in the middle of the night, being lowered down on a wall. He's doing something on purpose. He's setting something up. So then he he kind of shifts gears because... So here they were presenting this resume, so to speak, had no, no costs or whatever, no, nothing, no hardship, no difficulty at all. They were presenting pictures of strength. He's presenting pictures of weakness. They were presenting pictures of these great spiritual experiences where, you know, whatever, like all these like, things that they had made up. So he's like, okay, I'll do the same thing. Verse 12, verse, chapter 12, verse 1. So I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on uh, to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. Okay, now, for some reason, he is talking about himself through here, but he doesn't say himself. 
doesn't say, one time I did this, but that's really what he means. So when we read this, it's going to sound like he's telling a story about somebody else, but he's really talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Okay? I mean, real quick. Third heaven doesn't mean there's like the Mormon idea of levels of heaven or anything like that. There's not multiple heavens you can go through or whatever. One heaven. Um, in this day, that like the terminology of the day would basically be like this. The sky would be like the first heaven. Outer space would be like the second heaven, the stars and the moon and all that kind of stuff. And the third heaven would be like, like the place where God's glory and presence is like not hindered at all. Okay, So when you think heaven... Uh, that's what he's talking about. They just called it the third heaven in order to differentiate between those things or whatever. So, yeah, little side note. All right. Um, God was caught up to the third heaven. He says, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Okay, so he's basically saying, he's like, I don't know if I literally went to heaven or if, or if it was like just in my mind, God took me there or whatever. He's like, but you know, it doesn't even matter if it was physical or if it was mental or whatever. It doesn't really matter. God knows, and that's fine. Uh, he says, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. All right? He's saying, I, God took me to heaven, and I saw things that cannot be described and will not be described. This is one of those experiences that just very, I mean, who do you know that could say that? If you knew somebody that happened to you, that dude would have a book deal today. Or that lady. Book deals. Big time blog posts getting re, re, like forwarded everywhere, getting retweeted on Twitter. I mean, that would cause this huge stir if someone was like, yeah, guess what happened to me today? God took me to heaven and let me see it. So he's sitting there telling the story about the guy he knows that this happened to and then he won't even tell what he saw. Maybe it's because he didn't. He knew there was wisdom in not doing it. Maybe God told him to just keep his mouth shut. Or maybe he was like, I couldn't even begin to describe it to you. We don't really know. Verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 5. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast. Except of my weaknesses. Okay? It's, it's like he's separating that experience from the rest of his life. Okay? And here's, here's why. Um, he's basically saying that experience can only be chalked up to God. Like, there could be no human, like, credit taking in, like, taking on in that story. He's like, so I'll boast in that. Because it only points to God. Because when it comes to human experience, I'm only going to boast in weakness. Because... When you boast in your strengths, you're just pointing to yourself. So he's kind of almost like differentiating between those two things. It's pretty interesting. Uh, verse 6, it says, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. It's like, I want you to look at my life. I want you to, to base everything about me on what you see and what you hear. I want you to watch me live it out in front of you. Assess things from there. Okay. Now all this talk, all the 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 shipwrecks and the beatings and all that kind of stuff, where he's he's talking about uh, all that kind of hardship, and then he's talking about this vision. Those were two things that the guys like kind of brought to the table. And now he's getting to the crux of where this is all all going. And this is a very probably familiar passage to a lot of you. Verse uh, verse seven. Um, 
So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of all the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Okay? Now, um, let me preface this, all right? I don't think that everything in life is connected to the devil. All right? So don't go assigning like satanic, demonic motives and, and blame to everything that comes our way in life. Okay? Sometimes you have a flat tire because you run over a nail. All right? Not because the devil was like, tap, 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 tap. You know, the devil was like, I'm going to place this nail right there. And there you go. And then you're flat tire. No, it's not like that. Sometimes we bounce checks because we are unorganized or, you know, people cash them at weird times. Or there's stuff like that that we tend to blame on the devil and it's not always the devil's fault. Okay? However, I've said this before, we have a real enemy and he really hates us. But more, he hates us because God loves us and he knows that because God loves us through our lives, God will do crazy things to show people his goodness and grace and draw people to him. And that absolutely drives him crazy. So, not everything can be just mindlessly attributed to the devil, but there are certain things. And what Paul is saying is like, is that something in his life, uh, like, that is where like it came from. Okay, so so we have all this backstory on Paul now. We know all that he's been through, um, the tough stuff, and we know the most phenomenal experience of his life. And he's saying, okay, one, one thing I've learned is that to keep me from being completely conceited about all of that stuff, the good stuff, obviously, but even the bad stuff. I mean, because you know people who thrive on drama and hardship. And it would be so easy for him to be like, do you know how many times I've been beaten for the name of Christ? I'm such a great apostle. That's not what he's doing. But it would be really easy for him to do that. Do you know what my faith has cost me? Yeah, okay. And so, to keep me from being conceited about everything I've ever been through, and all this stuff, and the greatness of the revelations that God has given to me, um, look at what he says. It came from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. A thorn was given me in the flesh, messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Okay? It says that the thorn in the flesh, we don't know what that means. And there's a lot of speculation about it. Um, most people think that it has something to do with physical pain because he says flesh. Um, somehow he was hurting. Some think it could have been his, his eyesight. That was bad. Something that maybe his poor eyesight, uh, it says in Galatians, you know, there's indication of that, that he had bad eyesight. Some say the eyesight led to headaches that were maybe real bad. Some think that it was um, some sort of a, uh, like malaria or something like that. Um, some, some think it could have been just his anxiety was maybe um, leading to depression, you know, that has a lot of physical, you know, implications or whatever. There's all kinds of things. We aren't sure what it is, and I'm so glad that we don't know what it is. Because I think it helps us all find our connection to Paul in this. And so something was going on in his life, and Satan was using it like, to like, try and mess with him. All right? And that's one of the great points of this that we can kind of draw out, is that here is Satan being like, I'm going to totally make your life miserable with this. And God totally lets him. Because remember, he's a dog on a leash. He can only do what God allows him. But God's like, okay, I'm going to let... Satan go after Paul with this physical deal. And what Satan intends for evil, 
I intend for good, and I'm going to make something awesome in Paul's life by this. So even the things that are his fault, God's bigger than that. It makes him look like a big moron because he's like, look, I'm going to use this for something awesome. Tell me that doesn't just drive Satan crazy, you know? That's, that's how God works for us. And so Paul is acknowledging the fact that God allowed this to come into my life to keep me from becoming conceited. God allows things in our lives to happen. And he uses those things, whether from the devil or from our flesh or from the world or from circumstances, God uses those things to bring about really, really beautiful things in our hearts and our minds. We've we got to grab that. Like That's got to be something that we believe and that we see. And when life hits and something really crazy happens, or even something just kind of crazy happens, we're like, man, God let this come my way. There must be a good reason in it. He must want to use it. We should be excited when the bad things happen. Understand emotionally, circumstantially, all, there's all kind of other things. I know it's not always that easy. There's got to be this base where we believe that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says that he does, and he is going to do what he says he's going to do, which is work all things together. For his glory, for our good. So that's, that's where he finds himself. So look at what he does. Verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Okay? Stop right there. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that it would leave me. All right? That's how you know Paul's not superhuman. Whatever it was, it didn't happen, and he was like, man, I'm totally going to embrace this because God wants to use it for my good. He's like, no, take this away from me. He pleads with the Lord for that to be removed. And the fact that he had to plead again must have meant God said no. He does it again. God must have said no again. So he does it a third time. See, Paul, Paul wasn't perfect. Whatever this was, he didn't see it for what God intended it to be originally. He didn't see all the potential in it. He didn't see the bigger picture. He didn't see all those things initially. He was like, take this out. You ever, you ever had something in your life when that, and that's your prayer? It's like, God changed this? Now certainly, you know, if you go to the doctor and he says, you have cancer, you begin to pray, take my cancer. Absolutely. There are things that happen to us that we want him to remove from our life. Change this. Take this away from me. If there's something, something physical, take it away. If it's anxiety, depression, uh, just emotional things, you're like, take this away. God, take this away from me. I can't, I can't remove this from myself. Please take this away. Sometimes there are, we just find ourselves in a place in life where it's not so much God, take this away from me. It's more like it just changed the way things are right now. We find ourselves in financial difficulties, and we're like, God, ch- we change, change this. Work a miracle in my like, bank account. Prove that you're a computer hacker, and go in and make this money equal out. Sometimes we're, it's, it's you know, relational. We're like, God, change my relationship status. Give me a reason to change it on Facebook. I just want to go in and say that I'm in a relationship. I don't even have to say who. It could be like, no, I don't even have to put their name. I, just, I, want, I want that to be where I am. I'm tired of being single. I'm tired of... Like, everybody out there having somebody, which isn't the case. Uh, but it's just, you know, you get all wrapped up. And you're like, God, change this about me. I'm tired of being single. 
And sometimes you're in a relationship and you're like, I'm tired of, of being just dating. I want to be engaged. And then when you're engaged, you're like, oh, we have to wait nine months to get married. You know, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. And then sometimes when you're married, it's like change the fact that we don't have kids. And then when you have kids, it's like change the fact we only have one kid. And then sometimes when you have three kids, it's like change the fact that our three kids are terrible. You know, <laughs> it's always something. It's always something, go, you know, whatever. And, you, and I, Paul just has this. He's just so human because he's like, yeah, this happened and I didn't like it. And I asked God to change it. And that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with being honest before the Lord and saying like, hey, I don't don't really like this. I would like this to be different. There's certainly, it can certainly become sinful. And when you're, if your entire identity is wrapped up in those things that don't matter, then of course God's not going to. He's not going to necessarily honor that all the time. You know, he's going to want to work you through that. So Paul pleads with him to take it away. And God obviously says no. And Paul is able to experience something with Jesus that's so beautiful. Um, because sometimes God just says no. And it, it's 30-something years before you realize why he said no. But here, Jesus tells him why. He said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I just love Jesus and how he just, he's just perfect. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to leave this, I'm going to leave this in your life. So that you can experience the sufficiency of my grace and the perfection of my power. In other words, it's worth it to have that thorn. It's worth it to have whatever it is that he allows to come our way. Whatever uh, circumstances we find ourselves in. Whatever, sometimes the very things we want to change and we say, Lord, I need you to change this. He says, no, you have what you need. You just don't realize it. I'm going to leave it, and I'm going to teach you just how sufficient my grace is for you. Just how perfect my power is. Because you're going to come to the end of yourself in this. You're going to experience this weakness to the point where you're going to just feel like, I have nothing left to do. And Jesus is like, yes, exactly. Exactly. And we can't be self-reliant. We can't take the bull by the horns. We can't creatively spin something, find our way out of it. When you get to that point where you realize my entire life source is in my abiding in Jesus Christ. Yep. There's your strength. There's your power. So Paul says, therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am con- I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Tell me you wouldn't follow that dude to charge the gates of hell. Because he realizes... He's come to realize, and through his experiences and all that he has learned, he's come to realize that in those moments of complete weakness, 
that is actually the strongest that you'll ever be. And so he boasts in that. Want to know why my list, why my resume, why the things I've presented are so difficult and don't paint me in a great light? Because when I'm not painted in a great light, Jesus shines. And that's all I care about. That's all I care about. And so what is it for us? You know, What is it for you? What is it for me? Like, how does this fit? I don't, I don't really know for you. I, mean, I can speculate. I'm working through it for me. I think it's interesting that he says, verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with whatever. I am content. I think there's a lot of choice in that. No, it's not that easy. Well, I'm not saying it's an easy choice. But I think there's a point where where we really are like, okay, whatever has come my way, whatever my circumstances are, whatever I'm facing, I'm going to be content with that. I'm going to recognize that as I walk through this, God wants to teach me about His sufficiency and His power. So I think what you're doing when you're saying, I choose to be content, I think you're saying, I choose to be teachable. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to press into the Lord. I'm going to abide. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross daily and I'm going to follow Him. And whatever that brings my way, it brings my way. It doesn't matter. If it brings difficult stuff my way, awesome. That means more, more Jesus. That means I decrease and He is increasing. That's, that's what we're going for. And so this might have like this zero to do with you on this day when you sit here. But if, I mean, life tells us a certain number of things, and Jesus said it too. He's like, guess what? In this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to face it at some point. You might be in it right now. You, I mean, you might be smack in the middle of it. You might be just starting to walk into it. You may be on the other side, maybe coming out of it. You maybe have come through it all the way, and you're, and you're trying to learn about what God brought you through. Regardless of where you are in the process, all the truth is still the same. When you are weak, then you are strong. His grace is enough. His power is perfected in weakness. And the crazy part is that Paul has this completely just thankful view of the things he's been through. And that's the part to me that's so difficult, is to get to that point where you're not only like, okay, I'm content with that stuff, or I put up with it, or I've come to terms with it. You're thanking God. You're saying, God, thank you for this thorn in my flesh. Thank you for this uh, cancer. Thank you for this sickness. Thank you for this financial difficulty. Thank you for my singleness. Thank you for uh, my frustrations in my marriage. Thank you for um, thank you for whatever. Just fill in the blank. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you for it. Thank you for letting things come into my life that's going to make me decrease. Maybe the hardest part is when there aren't hardships still stay in a place where you're trying to decrease so that he can increase. 
And so I think we have to we have to embrace this. We have to embrace suffering. Such a great theme of Second Corinthians. And he's like, look, everybody's telling you that all this hardship stuff means God must be mad at you. What I'm telling you is maybe it's because he loves you. Maybe it's because who better to have cancer than the people of God? Who better to have financial problems than the people of God? Who, who better to face difficulties in their marriage and to walk through it and to reconcile and to work through those things than the people of God to put on display for the world the sufficiency of my grace and the perfection of my power? Who better? Who better? And I think the more we dig into that and we grab hold of that, the more we're saying, bring it. Whatever. I would be honored for you to look at my life and say, I can trust you with cancer. I can trust you with hardship. I can trust you with calamity. I can trust you with difficulty. To grab a hold of it and embrace it. Now, I know it sounds easy. It's so easy to say. Very easy to do. Very easy to walk out. Well, that's a part of our progressive sanctification as God's teaching us about real life. He's teaching us about how he works. And so um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a little bit and process this just a little bit. Um, but I hope, that this, I hope that this is both peaceful, and I hope it kind of stirs up some stuff in us. Because I think that's what it's supposed to do. Let, let me pray for us. God, thank you for... Um, Thank you for the fact that you don't ever waste anything. Sometimes the very things that I mean that we hate about life or ourselves sometimes or whatever, the very things that you're allowing, because you see the end from the beginning. I mean, you are sovereign over all. You're everywhere, fully present at once. You don't experience time moment by moment, but you see it all at one time. And so you know what's down the road for us. We have no clue. And so what Paul learned here, when we bring that into our lives, what you're asking us to do is to trust you, really. You're asking us to just walk in faith. To live by faith and not by sight. Sometimes sight can be terrifying. Sometimes sight can evoke crazy emotional responses in us. Sometimes sight can be paralyzing. And that's why you said, hey, don't trust it. Trust me. I pray that we would begin to establish a rhythm of trust. To the point where it just, we wouldn't even have to think through it. We just we walk through life faithfully. Trusting that you are who you say you are. Like we sang earlier, that you are holy, great and mighty. That you are more than enough for us.